Welcome to the Vertical Go-To-Market Podcast, where you'll discover new opportunities to grow your business from seven figures to eight from the world's most successful agency and B2B SaaS executives. I'm your host, Corey Quinn. Let's jump into the show. Today, I'm joined by the best-selling author of The One-Page Marketing Plan and the founder of SuccessWise, Alan Dibb. Welcome, Alan. Hey, Corey, pleasure to be on. I'm super excited for our conversation, and I've had the opportunity to, to read through your book, and I was sort of dog-earing it and underlining things. You know, I'm a, I've been a marketer for a while, but I, I'm a student of marketing, and I'm always learning, and so I'm super excited to bring you onto the show and to you know, give the audience an opportunity to learn some of the wisdom that you've picked up along the way. A little bit about your book is that the one page marketing plan, it's been called the business Bible and game changer. Uh, the Huffington post named it one of the, uh, the 10 best marketing books for small business owners and universities across America use it as a modern day textbook. So I'd love to learn more about this book, the one page marketing plan. And I know you have a new book coming out as well, which we could talk about uh, as much or as little as you'd like. Sure. Sounds great to me, Corey. <laughs> so tell us about the one page <laughs> marketing plan. What's this book? Who's it for? And what's included? So the one page marketing plan is a framework that I designed and it was a framework long before it ever was a book. When I started consulting to, with clients, naturally, one of the first things I wanted them to do was put together a marketing plan. And I got a lot of pushback, too hard, too difficult, need to hire a consultant, don't know where to start, don't know what to do, all of this sort of stuff. So I created a simple framework, which is a one page marketing plan canvas. And if, um, if you can visualize a single page with essentially split up into a grid of nine blocks. And so there's three groups of three, there's three at the top, three in the middle, three, three at the bottom. And it's really just designed. There it is. Yeah, uh, so for the people who are watching, YouTube. I I, 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 uh, I held one up for the camera. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> I should have one um, just handy here that I can put up. But uh, yeah. anyway, you you were well prepared, which is good. Yeah. So the whole idea is that literally in 20, 30 minutes, you can put together a comprehensive marketing plan for your business. You can be clear around your target market, your messaging, your media, how you're going to nurture leads, how you're going to convert them, and then how you're going to deliver a world-class experience and then increase customer lifetime value. So it's all about the process of going through the plan because I remember early on in my business, I in my first business, when I was completely clueless. I'm not from a marketing background. I'm, I'm from a geeky technical background. I hired a consultant to help me put together a business plan. We spent months and thousands of dollars and it was like this big, long, complicated document, which I never really used, right? I shoved it in the top drawer of my desk, never saw it again until I was cleaning out the office. And so I wanted something that's practical. That's a living document that you can update easily, share with team, share with web developers, share with marketing agencies. And then as you get better and more information, you can just update it. You can literally have it pinned on the wall or you can have a copy on your desk or whatever's relevant. So it was something that I wanted to be practical and really the 80-20, it's not designed to be, you know, a voluminous plan with every single detail. It's yeah. designed to simply and quickly articulate the main key 80-20 of your marketing strategy. Yeah. I think that's brilliant. Having been you know, in a marketing role at bigger companies, you get, you get sort of the default is to write long narratives and all these things. And when you, when you have to sit down and force yourself to, like you said, articulate the, 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 
the few things that are going to make a difference in a small confined space, you really have to work hard to get there. Meaning like you, you can't, like you, you, you don't have a lot of room to kind of be verbose. You have to get right to the, right yes. to the chase. And I, I think that's really exactly. smart. Yeah. Could you, maybe you could walk us through what the scorecard is, how it's, you know, how it works and some of the major insights. Yeah. So, so the plan is split up into th three blocks of three. So the first is what we call the before phase, or maybe you might call it the attraction phase where someone doesn't even know that you exist. And so the three blocks are, first of all, selecting your target market, nailing your messaging. So what message is really going to resonate with that target market and get them to say, I want that. And then what media are we going to use to reach that target market? And so the whole goal of that phase is attraction or awareness so you get to get your ideal prospect to know you, to know that you exist. So, and potentially raise their hand and say, hey, look, I'm reasonably interested in what you've got, got to offer. So that's the first uh, phase. Then we move into the, the during phase or sometimes called the conversion phase. It's where we capture those leads, we nurture them, and then we have a sales conversion process. So we take them from vaguely interested, having raised their hand say, and when I say raise their hand, it could be they clicked on your landing page, they called your office, you know, whatever, whatever they did to respond to your ad. And so we want to take them through to, from being vaguely interested to having purchased from you for the first time. Now, a lot of people believe marketing is done once the purchase is made. <laughs> and so, but really where, where sophisticated marketers come in is taking someone who's made a purchase for the first time. And then first of all, delivering a world-class experience, increasing the customer's lifetime value, because there are only two ways to grow a business. There's, you can get new clients, which is very sexy and very cool. And everybody wants to do that. And the second way is to increase their, their lifetime value, which is really where the, the money is made. And finally, we, in the, in the final step, we look at how do we get orchestrate and stimulate referrals. And I say orchestrate and stimulate referrals, meaning it's an active process. Most people kind of hope and pray for referrals. Yeah. So that's essentially it in an, in a nutshell. Perfect. So let's double click into sort of the first step, which is your target market. A lot of agency owners that, that I speak with and I work with are reluctant to narrow the target audience they want to market to anyone why would they you know limit their addressable market right. right so what are some of the benefits and how do you think about approaching you know the identification of a of a niche or a, a vertical market yeah this is this is such a counterintuitive and difficult thing for entrepreneurs not just agencies and i mean we've worked with with a ton of agencies in our certification program but for almost anyone, if you're a doctor, lawyer, butcher, baker, candlestick maker, it feels like if you widen the net, you'll get more clients. And it's kind of counterintuitive and everything will drive you to kind of increase your addressable market and say to be anything for, for everyone. But if you're all things to all people, no one's ever going to read your message or hear your message or see your message and say, hey, that's for me. And it's kind of... Um, there was an interesting little, uh, I think it was in Persuasion. Robert Cialdini had this little thing. Let me, let me see if I can actually find it. It's super interesting. He has this little thing that he says, I'll find it in a moment. Yeah. But uh, basically we want to be super specific around what, what we're doing. So most people, if you have a look at your own search history, so if you look at your Google search history, especially if you look at keywords where there's commercial intent, meaning people are looking to buy something, 
you're usually very, very specific. You're not typing in car or doctor. You're typing in eye, ear specialist in downtown Brooklyn, or you're typing in BMW X7 versus Range Rover or, or things like that. So, and that, that's the exact thing, same thing that your target market is doing. And everybody's had this frustration where someone says, have you done work for doctors? Well, no, I haven't done work for doctors, but really the marketing process is the same for doctors as it is for dentists, as it is for chiropractors, as it is for, for everybody else. But people look for specialists. Specialists can command a lot more money and specialists are sought after. So people will be typing in marketing agency for dentists in California or yeah. marketing agency for chiropractors in Texas or that sort of thing. So as much as you can be specialized and niche down, so that your messaging really lands with your audience, that's gonna make a huge, huge difference. You talk about using the PVP index to help you yeah. to select your perfect target market. Could you share what that is? Yeah. yeah, so the PVP index talks about who are you going, who's gonna be a perfect fit for you, meaning who are you going to really enjoy working with? So who is really gonna value what you do? Who's going to pay you a lot of money for what you do? So I've got a little three-step scorecard that people can go through and figure out, okay, who do I really enjoy working with? And you'll find if you get a phone call from a client and you see who's calling, you're like, oh man, not this guy, right? <laughs> so they're probably not a good fit. Versus a client, oh wow, uh, I, get, I get to talk to them. You know, everybody's had those clients where there's a perfect fit client and there's like, oh, client you just took on just for the revenue and they're such a pain, always pay late, always want to speak to the CEO, always complaining, always unhappy for whatever reason. And so, so no, that, that's number one, because we all started our businesses to have fun, freedom, all of those sorts of things. So we don't want to be working with suboptimal clients and suboptimal clients are difficult on you, they're difficult on the team and they're what I call desperate revenue. And desperate revenue is where you, you, you took them on, they're not a good fit, they probably can't really afford you but maybe you were a little bit aggressive in your sales process or you promised them the world and you really know deep down you can't deliver and so you've taken them on. Next thing is, we want to look for a target market that's going to pay you a lot for what you do. So we want we want them to really value what you do and pay you a lot for it. And finally, you can have a target market that's fun to work with and pay you a lot, but there's not much profit in it. And especially in the agency world where it's very labor intensive, you know, yeah. and especially if you're going to deliver a good job, it's it, it takes a lot of time, a lot of input. There's a lot of custom work that you've got to do for, for each client as well. And so you might find with the amount of time that we've had to spend with this type of client or whatever, there's actually not really much profit in it. And so they're the three factors that we really want to look at in, in selecting your target market. Are they fun to work with? Will they really value what you do and pay you a lot? And then finally, are they are they profitable to work with? Do you reckon with all this in mind, I think that that's great advice. With that in mind, do you recommend that they they go and they niche out of the gate or they, they sort of start more as a generalist to kind of figure out what, what, who they do like working with and where the value is and the profits. Yeah, no, straight out of the gate. I think that my view is, and this is a little bit controversial sometimes in the agency world, but I think the days of the generalist marketing agency are over. I don't think you're serving either yourself or your client. Now, why do I say that? Because first of all, marketing has gotten so much more complex, right? You cannot be, you cannot possibly have an agency that's an 
expert at SEO, that's an expert at pay-per-click, that's an expert at Facebook ads, that's an expert in copywriting, that's an expert at email marketing and all of those things. So if you're doing all of those things, you're probably going to do each one in a mediocre way. I mean, there are agencies that just do you know, part of a, a TikTok strategy or part of email deliverability. Like I've got a guy who I employ who's his sole job is not email marketing. It's just figuring out email deliverability, right? So just <laughs> part of yeah. a little sliver of, of what, I, what I need in one of my marketing processes. And I think that's where the money is going to be made. And that's where you're going to get your sanity back. Because if you're a generalist marketing agency, you're probably out there making big promises to clients and deep down, you know, you can't deliver. You, you know, that you're getting suboptimal clients who are like just abdicating their responsibility and just expecting miracles from you, right? And of course, they're going to be unhappy. You're going to be unhappy. So if you specialize in one particular area, so it could be like ads on TikTok or it could be how to get a YouTube to video to rank better or whatever else, you're going to have to do a lot less unique work per client. For, so you're going to really be able to systemize the process, meaning, and you, you're going to be able to basically have that customer factory where you know exactly the deliverables, you know exactly the inputs, you know what goes into to doing it. And you, you're going to have to reduce you'll reduce the amount of unique work and labor that you have to put in. But also you're going to get much more reasonable clients who know, hey, you're, you're delivering this specific thing, this specific deliverable, and they'll pay you more for it and they'll have reasonable expectations and they'll, they'll be a better quality client because they'll come to you knowing their target market, knowing their messaging, having infrastructure already in place, and you're delivering that specialist piece of work that they need to, to input into their infrastructure. It's so much better and so much cleaner than promising the world and just knowing you, you really can't deliver. Yeah, being mediocre, right? One of the people I work with, he's a mentor of mine, he's uh, named Jonathan Stark. He calls it, you know, solving an expensive problem. And, totally. you know, if you have an expensive problem, i.e. your email is not getting delivered, that you need, totally. to, you need to find the right person to fix that, not, not screw around for six months trying to figure it out on your dime. So that makes a lot of sense. When it comes to messaging, let's say that you've been able to find that you've gone through the PVP index and you've identified a vertical that sort of meets the criteria there. How do you, how do you go about developing that USP, that unique selling proposition that really stands out to that buyer? Well, this is where creating that unique proposition becomes so much easier when you've identified who your people are. You see, like the, the biggest mistake a lot of people make is they come up with a product or a solution or some widget or some process, and then they try to find a market for it. And, you know, in Silicon Valley, <laughs> they call that a solution in search of a problem, right? <laughs> and it's completely backwards. But once we find out who our people are, so let's say, as an example, we, we decided that dentists who do Invisalign treatments are our ideal target market. It's a high ticket item for them. We know how to run ads for, for that particular thing. Now our messaging gets so much more, more powerful because we can now enter the conversation going in, on in the mind of that target market. We, we can attempt, you know, I'll give you an example. So I've attended a lot of industry conferences and I love going to specialist industry conferences where, you know, they're talking about a lot of industry stuff and all of that, but I'm usually the only one there talking about marketing. Like I attended one for the pharmacy industry and, you know, in half a day of hanging out 
with people in the pharmacy industry, I now know more about that industry, their pain points, what they're suffering with, what their hopes, what their dreams, what their desires are, than if I had to spent six months online trying to figure it out and, you know, figure out what, what they were worried about and all of those sorts of things. Same thing, again, I, I attended an IT industry conference re recently. And again, I know what their pain points are. I know where their opportunities are. And so if I can infiltrate one of these verticals and really start understanding the who's who in the zoo, what what are what are profitable deals that they're chasing, what are things what are threats to their industry, either from technology or from competition or from the internet or whatever else. Now I can enter that conversation going on in their mind. Like for example, giving you the pharmacy example, they're all freaking out about like Amazon now doing pharmacy fulfillment, uh, Mark Cuban's come in with some cost plus product or whatever else. And now they're looking for new revenue sources, revenue sources that they previously had that were safe are kind of starting to dry up and they're looking at new revenue sources from like functional medicine and things like that. So now I can enter that conversation going on in their mind. I don't have to guess what, what are they afraid of and what are their hopes, dreams and desires and what are the ways that I can help them grow their business. I now know that because I spent half a day listening to, to speakers talk about you know, the challenges they've got and the opportunities that are coming up and all of those sorts of things. So um, that's where your messaging really starts to enter that conversation going on in the mind of your prospect and can be yeah. super, super clear and targeted. So one of the things that stood out about what you just shared is that the way you were able to do that quickly is by going and spending time with them. Go to go to one of their conferences yeah. where they're you know you're immersing yourself in their world. It's kind of like a different you know language program where they're going to use different words and phraseologies and they're going to have acronyms and, and jargon that you're you're really going to be able to pick up quickly by just physically being there. It's such a good hack, you know, like physically being present at an industry conference. Like, like I said, I could have spent six months doing online research. I wouldn't have figured out half the stuff that I, I've picked up in a day. And it's because you speak to attendees. They usually have other speakers who are the who's who of the industry. The topics are usually whatever's, you know, hot and going on in, in that industry. And I kind of think about it like imagine the you were a spy, and the president said, look, I need you to infiltrate this market and, and come back with actionable insights. Tell me, what, what, are they, what are their hopes? What are their dreams? What are their desires? What are they afraid of? We, we really need to know. I mean, you, yes, you might do a few Google searches. Yes, you might have a look at some Facebook communities, but you would physically go and try and infiltrate these communities and, and figure out what was going on so that you could hear firsthand the chatter, what's going on what's happening. And so I think that's such a, such a good hack in terms of figuring out your target market. Ah, I love that. I think that's great actionable advice for, for folks listening. You also talk about this is in chapter two, you also talk about how the offer is one of the most important parts of your marketing campaign. Um, I think probably agency owners know this, but maybe not have clarity on, on the right way or, or a good way to put together an irresistible offer. What do you, what do you recommend in that regard? Yeah. So look, uh, it's called the irresistible offer. I like the way Alex Hall Mosey phrased it. You know, it's got an offer that you feel dumb saying no to, right? So, and you know, that's not always possible. And you know, sometimes going in with a complete kind of risk reversal guarantee and everything is not always possible or, or desirable, but really going in and talking about the problem that the person is experiencing and really thinking of your product or service as 
the tool to get what they actually want to get, right? Because nobody wants SEO, nobody wants pay-per-click, nobody wants email marketing. They want the things that they think those things will get them. So <laughs> that's where, what our offer really needs to speak to. It needs to speak to the desire that the prospect has and the, the big problem that's happening in their mind. A lot of a lot of marketing and a lot of agencies are very self-focused. We're awesome. We won these awards. <laughs> we were started oh, yeah. in 1985. I know about this. Kind of no one, yeah. no one cares, yeah. right? This is you our know, building. What? Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I uh, bring, that brings me back to when I was at my last agency. We were sort of hypnotized in that the, that that world of talking about ourselves, and and um, we went through. Or I, me, executive team did the Donald Miller's story brand stuff. You know, read through his book, and he talks a lot about the hero and the and the you know, who yeah. the hero is, who's the guide, who's the hero, and yeah. we were we were positioning ourselves as the hero. When in reality, yeah. the client's the hero, we're just the guide. And that, that was a big sort of eye-opening experience for us. Totally. It's funny how many, I mean, you see this with marketing agencies and they've got the big click funnels award. And I mean, no one other than other agencies know what that is. Right. Like a, a dentist has so no freaking idea what your, your million dollar click know, funnel, honestly. whatever, comma club thing honestly. is or whatever. Right, right, exactly. It'd be much more compelling to say that you've won the you know, the vendor of the year for your industry from a, from a reputable sort of uh, vertical uh, association. So I think that's really smart. As it relates to reaching prospects within this vertical or this niche, now that you've sort of uh, uncovered, you've really developed your USP, you know, how do you choose which channels to focus on in reaching them? So uh, my view on this is always been that you really want to dominate at least one media channel and then once you do you add others a lot of a lot of what i see is people kind of spreading themselves very thin across multiple media channels so I do a little bit on facebook do a little bit on google do a little and kind of uh, there'll be usually one media channel that's super strong for you that's really that you're really dominating in and so i highly recommend at least in the beginning to really nail at least one media channel and then add others as you go now obviously you do want to d diversify media channels you don't want to be single source dependent where you know there's a google slap or a facebook whatever all of this people are now talking about a gmail slap or whatever so <laughs> yeah all of this sort of stuff. So yes, you do definitely want to diversify your media channels, but you want to figure out, first of all, where, where do I, my prospects live, my ideal prospects, right? Where are they hanging out? Are they on YouTube? Are they on Facebook? Are they, I mean, they may be in, in various places, but there'll be usually one dominant channel that you can really dominate and then and then add others. So that's that's my recommendation. Also, I mean, we're talking to marketing agencies, but if I were talking to a normal business, I would say as well, media tends to be your most expensive part of your marketing process. So get yeah. an expert to really help you with that. So I've hired experts in specific media channels and they're worth their weight in gold because there's some propeller head or gig who's spending all day figuring out how to hack Google ads or how yeah. to figure out how to rank better on, on this website or whatever else, right? So they're worth their weight in gold. So if you're working with media that you're not super familiar with, you waste a lot of time, money, and energy trying to figure it's out. It's too easy. It's so easy to waste money with media, for sure. Yeah, totally. What are your What are your thoughts on for agencies specifically starting their own newsletter or building a I, I, building a subscriber list? I, I think it's essential. You really want to move people onto owned assets, so where you're the landlord rather than the tenant because if you're on facebook or twitter or or google or whatever 
it's good. I mean, you, you, you definitely want to be there, but all roads lead to Rome, which is your own assets, your website, your email list, all of those things, because, you know, people think if they're not too controversial or not political or whatever, you can't get shadow banned or removed or whatever. Not true. Like, I mean, we've seen, and, you know, I'm sure media agencies have seen uh, over and over people who are not doing anything weird or controversial or crazy get their Facebook ads banned or delisted or whatever. And so it's a huge risk if you're dependent on somebody else for your for your incoming leads. So you really didn't want to be building some of your own assets. Any advice on how to get started with a newsletter for an agency? Get right. Uh, just, just do it. Just get it out. Yeah. Just just set, set it up. Set up set up ConvertKit or Beehive or HubSpot or wh whatever tool you, yeah. you like to use and just start sending sending one out to all of your clients and all of your, your prospects and do it at least weekly. That's my recommendation. Just send out something that's going to be valuable, that's going to help them get a result in advance So and keep them warm. Because really, we find that a market is split into two kind of buckets. There are people who are ready to buy today and they'll buy from you immediately, but they tend to be a very small percentage, around maybe 3% of your addressable market. And then there's a huge, much bigger prize waiting. They're the people who are gonna be ready in 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, a year. I mean, it's not unusual for someone to have been on my mailing list for a year or two before they, they're like, look, I've been on your list for ages, really like what you do, how do I buy one of your programs? And so if you don't have that in place, you're really gonna be losing a huge amount of potential revenue because in a year, if I had not kept in touch with someone, they would have no idea that, I mean, do you remember who, whose list, who, who you, whose ad you clicked on a year ago? No. I mean, you probably wouldn't remember whose ad you clicked on last week, no. right? Yeah. So if you're not, if you don't have a mechanism to keep in touch and nurture those leads over time, you're losing massive amounts of revenue. Hey, it's Corey. Almost every day I talk with agency owners who are frustrated with getting their outbound program off the ground. The truth is too many agencies are too dependent on inbounds and referrals to grow their business. We all know that it's getting harder and harder to generate inbounds and that it's just not a sustainable way to grow your business. I'd like to give you the six secrets for driving consistent ROI from your outbound that I learned as Scorpion's chief marketing officer, where we doubled the business from 20 million to 40 million just by adding outbound to an existing inbound only program. It's a free six day email course that will transform your outbound from broken to consistently driving new sales opportunities. You could sign up and get the first secret right now by going to getoutboundroi.com. That's getoutboundroi.com. Now back to the show. So I think, you know, when you talk about the difference between hunting and farming, when you talk about an email list and this process of, you know, staying in touch on a weekly basis, that's more yeah. of like a farming approach. Do you... And both, and by the way, yeah. both hunting and farming are, are okay. Like hunting is stuff like cold email, cold calling, all of that. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. And it's, it's fine as part of your overall marketing mix. But if you're solely reliant on hunting, that's kind of really, really business in hard mode. You know, you're, you're pushing every day, you're starting every day with zero, you're trying to close deals and, and you're highly dependent on response rates and things like that. Whereas farming is much more predictable. You, you plant, you water and you harvest. So, so it's not that I think hunting is bad, but I think it's a lot harder if you're solely reliant. On you don't hunting. have the farming at the same time. 
Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. So let's say you, the, the agency now has been collecting some leads, but is there, maybe it's the, the 97 or the 95% who are not buying today. One of the things you talk about, and this is something I, I, I have a lot of experience with, uh, and I love is lumpy mail and the shock and awe package. Love yeah. that stuff. So how do you choose this? My assumption is that these are people in that have come in as a lead, not ready to buy yet. How do you choose which I, first off, which item to send and who do you send it to? Yeah, look, it's, it's re really, this is where some of your creativity can, can come in. And one of the things, I mean, it could be as simple as a book. Like for example, we will often, and I, it's funny, I, I found it was actually cheaper just to physically send a copy of my book, like a, like a paperback copy of my book, including mailing and everything like that than to actually run a Facebook ad to get somebody to opt in and request it, isn't, right? Isn't so that interesting? I'm like, <laughs> like, yeah. Well, and you're, getting, uh, and you're and, giving all this value. I would have had the cost of money, yeah. right? Yeah, it's beautiful. So, so there's a couple of ways to approach this. First of all, with leads. So a lead comes in and maybe they've asked you to quote or they, they have some kind of inquiry and you can see it's a high value lead. It's worth send, spending 10 or $20 to wow them, right? So that's one way you can use a shock and awe package. Another way would be what we call like a dream 100 kind of strategy. So where you know that these would be my top 100 or top 50 ideal clients. And I'm gonna spend the next six months to a year just figuring out how to get in front of them, how to wow them, how to impress them. And so you might send a, a shock and awe package in that kind of instance. Sometimes another way that it can be used is, let's say you've got someone who you've been dealing with, maybe you've quoted them, you've had a few discussions, they're still not closing, right? And so a shock and awe package can be a great way to kind of warm them up even further or just impress them with something unexpected. Now, the whole idea of shopping shock and all package is that it's it's stuff that will be genuinely helpful and valuable to them. It's not just your crappy mug and pen with your logo on it or, or whatever, right? So that's not a gift for you. That's yeah. a gift. Uh, that's not a gift for, for them. That's a gift for you, right? So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so to, to me, one of the one of the ideal things is a book. And, you know, bonus points if it's a book that you've written. First of all, books have an intrinsic value. So meaning they're worth, you know, maybe $20, $25 or whatever it is. Uh, but especially if it's a book that you've written that's got valuable information, again, that's a powerful positioning tool. And they're an easy way, you know, you don't have to be Hemingway or write, you know, an amazing book. It can be just really about how you work, your process, you know, some of the unique insights and opinions that you've got that are different from others in the industry. And if no one ever even reads your book or reads any of your book, that's still fine. It's still a positioning tool. I kind of think of it like as the nuclear weapon of business cards. So it's a, it's really, really powerful. You know, I've, years ago when I did corporate consulting, and I haven't done that for many years, but I walked into like a, a pitch meeting and there were three executives there. There was a CMO, the CEO and the COO, and they all had copies of my book already there. And the CMO goes, oh, I loved your book. Uh, would you autograph it for me? And I'm like, you know, how much more <laughs> powerful deal. is that versus the next guy who was going to walk in with his flimsy little business card right. and tell them how awesome he was, right? Beautiful, beautiful. Another, <laughs> another benefit of sending a book is that it ends up on their bookcase, no one throws books away, right? I mean, it's like yeah. it's sacrilegious yeah, it feels to like do that. To throw a book right. Yeah. And so you just sit on their bookshelf and until they're ready to buy. I love that. So 
you send a shock and awe, and this is typically after there's been some interaction. Is that is when you is 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 when you typically do this, or is it as like a cold first touch, or or but, but it can be both. Yeah. yeah. So like, like I said, it could be used to in a dream one hundred strategy in which it might be a little bit more cold, or often it, it, to, to war, warm up an interaction further. And it's it's often it is often quite shocking to people to get something physically in the mail, you know, because <laughs> most people uh, will, yeah, if you're sending them more information, okay, I'll send you an email or I'll send you a PDF file or I'll send you a link to something, whatever. And, you know, most digital inboxes are now overflowing and sure. flooded, whereas physical inboxes are cleaner and clearer than ever yeah. before and you can really stand out. And so as marketers, we want to stand out and be a pattern interrupt in someone's life. So someone getting a package, especially unexpectedly from you, and especially if it's something valuable and cool, and you can have a lot of fun with this. You can include little trinkets. You can include, uh, sometimes I'll include like a little desk toy, like this is, I've got here um, a little tungsten cube Ooh, that's, um, that's cool. you know. Oh yeah, uh, so, fidget, fidget thing. You, know, just, yeah. uh, you can be, can be very creative show off your personality and stuff like that my friend john rule and he wrote a book called giftology so he's got a lot of I know good john, ideas yeah. in there yeah yeah so you know something a little bit personalized for them yeah. and especially if these they're high value lead it's worth your while yeah them. you don't know this about me alan but i've i've literally we, we spent millions of dollars on cookies like gourmet cookies as a Perfect. first touch and a multi-touch sales process that helped us to grow rapidly at my last company. So I'm a big, big fan of this, particularly in the first touch. Like if you get the, if you get it right to your point, it has yeah. to, you know, has to send the right signal and message, but it's a, it's a fantastic way to start a, start a new relationship, particularly if it's one of these ones. No, yeah. no one does this. That's the thing. I like, um, and, it, and it can be as simple and cheap as a handwritten note. Like yeah. if you don't want to spend all the money on a package and everything like that, a handwritten note, that's yeah. still a massive pattern rumpter. That would cost you like maybe $2 to yeah. send out. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And exactly. Cause no one does it. So I'm going to continue to preach it and you're hearing it folks from Alan as well as a great, as a great way to, like you said, pattern interrupt. It's so easy to ignore phone calls and emails and LinkedIn yeah. messages. This is something that's truly different and still today very unique so i love that and it, and it has pretty close to a 100 percent open rate yeah. right i mean have you ever received a package and just thrown it out and not not opened it yeah. I mean. exactly i mean come on this is like how much more obvious could it be you mentioned this earlier but in the book you talk about how important follow-up is in the process i think we've all i'll speak for myself i've certainly not in every case done a great job of following up but this idea that it's not on the first or second contact or outreach. It could be on the the tenth or the twelfth outreach okay. that you actually, the timing happens to be perfect where they're ready to to engage. Talk more about that if you would. Totally, especially when it when it's a high consideration purchase. I mean, if you think about the last thing of high value that you bought, let's say a car or hiring a web developer or wh whatever it is, you probably didn't wake up that morning and decide, okay, today I'm gonna buy a car, right? You probably research, okay, do I want a fuel powered one or do I want one electric, do I want one SUV or do I want a two door coupe or whatever, right? So th there was a reasonable consideration period. And even if you knew what model you want or exactly what, what car you wanted, you, you still might've researched some of the different options that, that are available. You still might've researched some of the different pricing, watched a few YouTube videos, watched some unboxing videos or, or whatever. And so 
everyone here is selling something high value, right? So there's going to be a consideration period. Your prospect is unlikely to wake up that morning and say, I'm going to hire a marketing agency today, right? Mm -hmm. So you want to enter that conversation. They're going to have that conversation regardless, right? They're going to do some of that research. They're going to consider, you know, I don't know, should I go with someone who's doing Google ads or Facebook ads? You know, what's the difference? Okay. So if you can be involved in that conversation in the nurturing process and Follow up. When I'm talking about follow up, I'm not talking about the pestering follow up, like "Hey, buy yeah. from us now." Yeah. When are we going to close? All of this sort of stuff. I mean, value building follow up because. If someone's been involved in that journey with you, helping you make better decisions, giving you good information, uh, helping you become a better customer, then that's super valuable. You're unlikely to just go with someone else random uh, versus someone who's been helpful and useful to you the, during your buying journey. And I think, you know, uh, people will worry about, and I'm speaking about myself, like you don't want to sound desperate or needy totally. in your follow-up. Totally. So the way to do that is you, know, you need to just add value. You're not there to take, you're there to give type of thing. Totally. Yeah. Totally. That's awesome. All right. So you've sent them a lumpy mail, something amazing. You were able to follow up at the right time. Now they're your customer. What are the keys to delivering a world-class experience? Yeah, so delivering a world-class experience will be so much easier if you've selected your ideal target market, right? So we've all worked with suboptimal clients, you know, people who expect the world, don't want to pay anything, need it done yesterday, all of that sort of stuff. So if you've done if if you've done the first step right, which is selecting your target market, uh, now creating a tribe of raving fans is going to be so much easier. So we we want to. Uh, we want to de deliver a wow experience and w whatever that might be in your industry. Now there's the actual deliverable, which is probably a re reasonably a commodity, right? Someone who's a good web developer, you know, doesn't differ from another web developer dramatically. So it's often not about the actual thing you do. Yes, of course, you've got to do a good job. Yes, you've got to meet timeframes and deliverables and budgets and all of that, of course, but that's the baseline expectation. What can you do over and above that to deliver an amazing experience? So that can be in your communication, that can be in the way that, that you engage with your clients. Uh, so, you know, when I think about like I, I, I've switched accountants maybe three or four times throughout my business career. And the switch has never been about, hey, this accountant knows the accounting code better or he can do my tax return better or anything like that. It's always been the uh, other stuff, the common stuff, returning a phone call, returning an email, being responsive, being proactive. Because pretty much most accountants are working with the same tax code. They've got the same bag of tricks to legally minimize your, your tax and things like that. And that's the same for most industries. So the thing that you do is often not the switching factor. And, you know, again, you think about like, if you've ever hired an IT guy, again, most IT guys do a pretty similar job. I mean, yes, of course there are bad ones and good ones, but most of the time it's like, is he there when I need him? Like, uh, is he answering phone calls? Is he getting back? Is the problem re recurring? So with that, it's kind of like the, it's the uncommon, do the common stuff uncommonly well, is yeah. what, what I often say. So d just, so that's number one, but also being a voice of value to your tribe. You know, there are positioning yourself, not just as someone who delivers a service, but being a voice of value to them and a thought leader in your industry. So, and that's where a lot of creating your content comes in. That That's helpful in the before phase when we're trying to attract new clients, but also 
being there for, for clients creating value. It could be educational webinars. It could be ways to show them that uh, how they can use your product or service in a, in a better or deeper way. So all of those sorts of things can create value. And, and again, similar to what we discussed in the shock and awe package, it can be as simple as, hey, you know they've just had a, they've had a baby born or whatever, a little, thank, a little handwritten note and a, or a gift basket or whatever, just little interactions that are meaningful, that are unexpected and that are, that are personalized, those can really create a, a tribe of raving fans. Yeah, it's the, it's the, the, the common things that, that are uncommon in totally. some respects, right? You mentioned the, 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 the idea of polluted revenue. And in the book, you talk about the uneven dollar, which is really about the, the, the yeah. poor fit clients, the, the toxic yeah. relationships. What are some ways that, and this definitely happens in the agency space. What are some ways that you can you know, resolve that? I talk about the principle of the unequal dollar, meaning yeah. if you go to your bank and you deposit a, a dollar from an un, from suboptimal client or an optimal client, your, your bank will treat those as equal dollars. But uh, one of those dollars that from, from your optimal client is worth way more because that client were, is easy to work with, they pay on time, they refer new business to you, they have reasonable expectations, whereas the dollar from the suboptimal client, they've been painful, they've been rude to your team, they pay late, they have crazy expectations, all of those sorts of things. So the, the fact is sometimes you've just got to go through your client base and you've just got to fire suboptimal clients. And it feels weird, I mean, from someone in a marketing space where we're trying to maximize revenue to say, hey, fire clients, but you're going to make so much room and capacity for ideal clients. Like right now, if you have a, have a look at your, your clients, the, the ones that are generating the most profit are probably the least painful to work with. You probably spend 80% of your time putting out fires with your 20% of suboptimal clients than you do giving love and attention to your most optimal clients. Yeah. So clearing out the, the suboptimal clients or sending them to your competitor or whatever is just gonna make capacity both mentally, but also with your team and with your resources to really create an amazing experience and, and more lifetime revenue from your most optimal clients. I couldn't agree more. I love it. So the, the ninth sort of step in the, in the one page marketing plan is orchestrating and stimulating referrals. This isn't just waiting for referrals to come in, is it? Yeah. Yeah. So most <laughs> people kind of hope and pray for referrals. Hey, if I do a really good job, I'll get referrals. And that sometimes does happen, but it's pretty, pretty rare generally. Even if you've done a great job, it's just because, you know, your prospect or your client isn't sitting there thinking about you all day. They're thinking about themselves, their problems, their business, all of that sort of thing. So you've got to figure out ways to orchestrate and stimulate referrals, meaning it's an active process, meaning it's something you do intentionally. And a few ways of doing that is first of all, being very specific and making it part of your product. So what I mean by that is, a lot of times people won't give you referrals because you know you, you might finish the job with them. You might say, hey, do you know anyone else who needs a, a website? And they're like, th they've kind of been blindsided. They're like, they haven't been thinking about that. It's not something that's been on their mind. And they're like, um, no, really can't think of anyone. If I think of someone, someone I'll let you know. Whereas if on the in the onboarding phase or even in the sales phase, you say, look, Mr. Prospect, or Mr. Customer, or, or uh, you are an ideal client and we get most of our business through referral. So I'd love you to keep in mind as we work together, if you know any other 
dentists in your industry or, or, or physios or whatever, being very, very specific about who you want and being clear upfront that this is an expectation of working with us so that when you get to the end of the job, they're not blindsided. They're like, they've already had this in mind. You've already had that discussion yeah. and they'll come across them in their, in their travels. The second way that we really orchestrate and stimulate referrals is by arming our referral network. So what I mean by that is a per, someone usually won't create a referral to you unless they're absolutely sure that that person is a perfect fit and ready to buy. Why? Because, you know, I don't want my friend to be bombarded by sales emails or sales calls or whatever if I, if I think he's maybe ready to buy or, or maybe thinking about this product or service. I'll only make that referral if I'm absolutely sure he's ready to buy right now and he just needs to see to speak to a salesperson. So what can you do that's kind of an intermediate step? So you can pass something on of value. So a couple of, couple of examples I give. So again, I will often give two copies of my book to someone. So one copy is for them, one copy is for them to pass on to somebody else. So a book can be really valuable that way. It could be a gift card. And I, I, I like doing actual physical plastic gift cards because everybody associates little plastic cards with value, especially if you've got a a face value on them. So, you know, everyone's seen iTunes cards and all of that sort of thing where it's got $50 or $100 or whatever. And again, it feels weird to take a, a plastic card with a $100 face value and just throw it in the bin. Most <laughs> likely, you will either hang on to it or, or pass it on to someone and say, hey, I work with this guy. Here's a $100 gift card if you ever decide to work with him or, or whatever. So the, there's a few different ways that, that you can do that. But how can you arm your referral network where... Yeah you can give them something that they could pass on to somebody who's maybe thinking about it, who's not ready to speak to a salesperson, not ready to buy right now, but they're thinking about what you do. I love that. And and complimenting the the idea that in the, early in the relationship, you set the expectation that, you know, we, yeah. you know, we, we grow based on referrals and, yeah. you know, you probably came to me on a referral and we'd love to yeah. keep that, that mojo, you know, going. And, and yeah. at some point you will come back and ask them for that referral. So I think that's, that's a great thing to do. It's a small, small thing to add, but not many people do it. That's awesome. Anything else about the one page marketing plan that we missed that you think is important to touch on? I think that re really, and again, we're talking to marketing agencies and yeah. people who understand marketing, but it's not the best agency that's going to win. It's the best known agency or best marketed agency. So that mindset shift around moving from being just a marketing agency to someone who's a marketer of marketing agency services. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of marketing agencies have actually pivoted from actually doing the work to just marketing the work and then outsourcing that work to, to somebody else yeah, uh, to, white label, to do the back end work. Right. Yeah. Cause that, that stuff for the most part, I mean, not, not always, and I don't want to, I don't want to put any, anyone down, but for the most part, that's a commodity, right? So the, the pumping out of the, the ads, the content, the, all of, all of that sort of thing. So the, the real key differentiator is how can you market yourself in a way that's more powerful? Mm. Great, uh, provocative question. You have a book coming out next year. So we're recording in 2023, at the end of 2023. So depending on when this airs, it probably will air next year. So when, tell us about the book that you have that you've been working on. Yeah, the book coming out, it's called Lean Marketing. And it's very much a successor to the one-page marketing plan. The one-page marketing plan was all about, you know, uh, 
your plan or your strategic plan. This is about implementation. How do we get the, the plan actually implemented? And the premise of the book is lean is about doing more with less. So lean is a philosophy that's especially been used extensively in the manufacturing industry. It took J Japanese manufacturers from being the worst in the world in the 1940s and 50s to being the best in the world in the 80s and so on. And even today, you know, if you want a reliable, low cost car or, or electronics or whatever, it's very hard to go past Japanese made manufacturers. So like a Toyota or a Honda or whatever. And so basically taking lean philosophy and applying that to marketing. So how can we get bigger results by doing actually less marketing. So a lot of, a lot of mar every marketing book you read is now telling you do more of this, do more of that. And you're like, far out. Like my to-do <laughs> list just keeps growing every time I, I read a book. Yeah, and you gotta so, start a TikTok channel. And you, exactly, yeah. exactly. Start a TikTok channel, do a YouTube, do this and that. And when I looked at both ourselves and some of our most successful clients, they were doing less marketing. The, their not to-do list was way bigger than their actual to-do list, but yeah. they went deeper into those few things that they were doing and they were doing those really, really well. And so that's, that's a lot of the premise of lean marketing is how do we get bigger results by doing less stuff? And there's three components to that. If we wanna get more by doing less, we have to use a concept called leverage, right? Leverage means we, we take one input and we force multiply it. So we, we, and we get more out. And so there are really three things from a marketing perspective that's going to help you get leverage and multiply the force of your inputs. That's tools. So meaning the tools that you use like CRM systems and content management systems, all of that sort of thing. There are assets. And again, we talked about assets like a book, like a cornerstone piece of content or those kind of things and then processes. Processes are how we win in business and in life, meaning they're the small compounding gains, the daily, weekly, monthly. So how do I get physically strong? I lift weights three, three times a week, and then that takes a year, but you start to see the results over time compound. How do you get wealthy? Again, through compound interest. You know, in the beginning, it feels like almost nothing's happening, but you're you're reinvesting the gains. You're they're compounding, they're compounding, and you get you're getting wealthy. So, with those three things, tools, assets, and processes, they're force multipliers in a marketing process, and that's how we we can do less marketing and get bigger results. So the promise of getting getting more out of less is is a big one, and I and I think how you boiled it down right now into these three tools, your assets and process. I'm personally very excited to read this. I think you, I mentioned this before we started recording, but I think you have a real talent in being able to take potentially very messy topics and being able to communicate them in a way that's very approachable. So I think it's I think it's going to be oh, a fantastic book, and I can't wait to read it. Can't wait to share it with you. Oh, beautiful. Now, is there a place where people can go today to maybe get on a list to get that book? Because I think it's in pre-launch pre or is there somewhere yeah, uh, you'd like for them to go on, if they're on Amazon.com at the moment. Um, okay. And you can certainly join my mailing list, which is at successwise.com. Uh, you can grab the one-page marketing plan uh, canvas there. And we've got a, a bunch of resources that are, that are free. So uh, happy to connect with the people there. Beautiful. I'm on your email list and I, and I, I you do live up to the, what you teach about providing value. So um, I definitely recommend folks listening to check that out as well. It's, it's at successwise.com. 
That's correct. Thanks okay. so much, Corey. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Alan, for coming on the show. You've been a tremendous amount of value here, and uh, it's been uh, it's been really great. I'm sure it's going to be very well received. So we'll uh, appreciate that. We'll talk soon. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah. All right, folks, that's it for today. I'm Corey Quinn, and I hope you join me again next time for the Vertical Go-To-Market Podcast. If you receive value from the show, I would love a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks, and we'll see you soon.